History shows us, and I don't think I have to convince you of that, that uh, human beings have a lot of difficulty living in relationship one with another, uh, either individually or together, families, societies, a war. There always seems to be some kind of conflict going on. People have feelings of inferiority, uh, struggle with personal identity. There's different types of abuse, physical, sexual, mental, uh, abuse, lack of respect, uh, power struggles, dominion, people trying to dominate others, and I can go on, and racism and all that. You know, that's part of our world that we live in, and um, we've all experienced different levels of that. I believe that all these issues of conflict and difficulty relational with us, with, the, with others. All these issues can be either solved or greatly reduced with a proper understanding of what it means to be created in the image of God. A proper understanding of what it means to be created in the image of God will help us in our relationship one with another. That's our subject. Uh, now, the subject's way too big to, to, uh, to address completely Sunday morning. Uh, so I'd encourage you to do reading and uh, study that yourself. But we're going to look at it, a few, uh, few things in Scripture, but more practical. We're going to get very practical in, in the application. And so, um, second slide, please. What you think of yourself and how you relate to others will be determined by your understanding of what it means to be created in the image of God. What you think of yourself and how you relate to others will be determined by that. So we're going to look at, first of all, a text uh, in Genesis chapter 1, right in the beginning, where it all started. Genesis chapter 1, the creation story. God created the universe. He created the earth. He created the moon, the lights, uh, everything. He created the animals, plants, fishes, birds. We have all that in Genesis chapter 1. And in verse 26... And 27 are the two verses we're going to look at. They're up on the screen. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, there's a, lots we can develop out of this text, but I just want to underline four, uh, yeah, four truths, basic fundamental truths that are important for us to understand before, as we carry on in the message this morning. First of all, the first truth, only mankind, human beings, have been created in the image of God. This is very important. All the animals, it was, as you read, if you read uh, Genesis chapter 1, you can read it at home. Uh, when you read that, it says that the animals, plants, birds, fishes were all created according to their kind. According to their kind. Not in the image of God. It's only human beings, men and women, who are created in the image of God. Also, in Genesis chapter 2, another take or version on the creation story, verse 7 the Lord formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. It is only human beings who have received the breath of life, a soul, what we call, 
Not the animals, they're, they're important. The birds are important, created by God. But there's a major difference between human beings and the rest of creation. A fundamental difference. Second thing, created in his image predates all religions. We're going to get to this a little bit later. Therefore, it applies to all people. We may disagree with people's actions. We may disagree with their philosophies and their lifestyle. But every man and woman has been created in the image of God. And therefore, worthy of respect and dignity. Number three, image of God is male and female together. That's what we read. They created, in the image of God, he created them male and female. It's just not man, physical man who... It represents our image of God. It is not women, but together, male and female. And the last point I want to read, truth, because we're created in the image of God does not mean we are God. There's a difference between created in the image and the likeness of and being. As you know, uh, we have three sons. Uh, Jonathan, our second son, lives in Saskatchewan. We're going to we have the privilege of going and seeing him in a couple of weeks. We're going to drive out and see them. Um, he's a bit taller than I am. And people say over the three sons of Timothy, Jonathan, and Matthew, Matthew, our oldest, of the three sons, Jonathan looks the most like me. He resembles me the most. He's good looking. He's got great character. Um, he's humble like I am. Um, that kind of thing, you know. So Jonathan. But Jonathan is not me. Jonathan is Jonathan. There's a difference between him and me. Even though you look at him, you look at me, and sound all the similarities, similar to, but not equal to. In spite of what we hear and read in books and all those kind of things and people talking and conferences, how, you know, the, we're all God and God's in us and all this kind of stuff, there's a major difference between us, created by God, and God who has created us. Let's don't ever forget that. Let's go, don't get caught up in that thinking. So, in what ways are we created in the image of God? Well, first of all, not physically, because the scriptures are very clear that God is spirit. John chapter 4, you can read it, it says, God is spirit, and those who want to worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. God can take on physical form, but he is spirit. So how do, how do we reflect God's image? Well, it's kind of agreed by those who do a lot more studying and know this material a lot better than I do, um, in three areas. The first one is mentally. Our mental capacities. God has created us with a capacity, mental, with intellect, mental capacities to think, to choose, creativity, free will, all that in the mental part of us. So God has created us with a free will, with a power to choose, because God has a power to choose. And we reflect his image in that way. See, we're not robots. You are not a robot. You're not a puppet on a string. You have the power to choose to do whatever. We have intellectual abilities to think, to reason. There's creativity. We enjoy beauty, art, and music. We create, we invent, we design. And like somebody said, every time somebody builds something or paints a picture or writes music, they're reflecting the image of God. Why? Because God is creator. 
<laughs> He's creative. And so we're reflecting his image in that way. Next slide is a quote from a person called Daniel Dennett, who uh, he does a lot of research on how the brain functions, known as an authority on the brain and a very outspoken atheist. He says, why does music exist? Well, the short answer is because we love it. Hence, we keep bringing more of it into existence. But why do we love it, he asks. Well, because we find it beautiful. And so he asks, but why is it beautiful? <laughs> and here he says, this is a perfectly good biological question, but it does not yet have a good answer. So here's someone who does not believe in any God, just, you know, we happen just like that, cannot explain where creativity comes from, where beauty comes from, where music comes from. Why? Because it's just not in yourselves. It's because we are created in the image of a God who is beautiful and creative and creation. Second thing, morally, we represent or reflect God in a moral sense, a reflection of God's righteousness and holiness. Right versus wrong. You know the little voice that speaks to you every once in a while? I hope a lot. <laughs> Tells you, oh, maybe that's not the right thing to do or to say or whatever. That little conscience. The sense of right from wrong transcends culture, religion, language, time. Richard Dawkins, you've heard of him probably, famous writer on human existence, the universe, states this. There exists a moral, moral standard that is the basis for our moral judgments, like grammar in a language. And this standard is beyond our understanding. Let me explain that. He says that morality, right and wrong, is like grammar in a language. How many here have like studying grammar. Oh, there's one hand over there. Great. <laughs> I grew up speaking English, and I couldn't, I can't tell you grammar. Judy teaches English, and she can give all the grammar rules. But when I learned French, what's the first thing I had to do? Learn grammar. You learn another language, you have to learn the grammar. Why? Because grammar is the basis on which the language is built. And you can tell if somebody speaks well, if they're speaking well, they oh, they got good grammar. Grammar is that underlying. And even if you don't know the rules of grammar, like myself growing up, you just speak it automatically. I don't know all the rules, but the grammar rules are there. And Richard Dawkins is saying for morality, right versus wrong, it's like grammar. It's a moral grammar basis. And he says this standard is beyond our understanding. We don't know where it comes from. We don't know why. See, those who believe we're just a bunch of cells that happened to come together in a cosmic soup bowl sometime in the past have no answer why all humans throughout all history have a sense of morality, right versus wrong. Whatever the background, whether ethnic, ethnic group, but we do. Christians do have an answer. Because God, who is holy, who is righteous, has created us in his image. And that sense of right and wrong comes from him. Another author, Sam Harris, he too does not believe in there's an existence of a God, says, 
If you were right to believe that religious faith offers the only real basis for morality, then atheists should be less moral than believers. Think about that. If your morality, right and wrong, is based on your religion, though a person who's an atheist has no religion, well, he should be less moral, right? Because he has nothing to base it on. If he's right. So listen to me carefully, because I don't want to be hauled out the parking lot and stoned with what I'm about to say here. Christianity is not the basis for our moral behavior. Right and wrong. That is not our basis. Our basis for our moral behavior is God himself. Because that predates all religions, all beliefs. It comes from him. He is our moral standard. He is our moral standard. He who is righteous and holy. So biblically speaking, our sense of morality comes from being made in God's image, not from being religious. And that's why those who believe, do not believe in any God have no concept of God, don't want to, have the same moral standards of right and wrong that those who do. But Christianity reveals to us who that God is. Who God is. He is holy. How we approach him. What does he expect from us? How do we worship him? How do we love him? How are we faithful to him? That's where Christianity in the Bible comes into play. But the basic fundamental understanding of right versus wrong comes from God. God himself. And that's why it doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, who the person is, we all have this fundamental sense of morality. Third, socially, is a third area. So mentally, morally, and socially, we reflect God's love. We are built, created to live in relationships, right? To love, to be loved. I don't have to um, convince you that loneliness, broken relationships, create stress, anxiety, sadness. But at the same time, healthy relationships produce joy, peace, a healthy living. Because God has created us to live in healthy relationships, to love and be loved. And so in relationships, socially, we are reflecting God in his image, his love, and relationship with us. So three areas, mentally, morally, socially, and a lot more you can go in depth in those areas, a lot is to do. I'd like this to move into the practical part. So what does that mean for you and I today? That God, that we are created in the image of God. Well, I have five questions. <clears throat> five questions I would like us to look at, and you can answer them individually, personally. Question number one. When you look in the mirror, who do you see? Who do you see when you look in the mirror at yourself? <clears throat> do you see someone loved, created in the image of God? Do you see somebody worth, somebody of worth, value? See, you are an individual who is loved, 
who is wanted, worthy to be treated with dignity and respect, in spite of what anybody else may be saying about you. When you look at yourself, you are created in the image of God. Don't let anybody steal that from you. Take that away. They may try, but you're created in the image of God. We're not created by chance, by some impersonal force, you know, the Star Wars, the force be with you kind of thing. No, there's a created, there's a heavenly father, a, a loving being who's holy and righteous, who wants you, who loves you, is interested in you, and cares for you, in spite of what's going on in your life. In spite of what the world may be saying around about you, those are all lies because you are someone created for his purpose and his glory. See, your personal identity, is it based on physical appearance, the clothes you wear, the job you have, all those values that the world has according to the latest style and fashion and and whatever? No, you are someone for who you are. For who you are. Created in his image. And that is a person you should see in the mirror when you look in the mirror. Now, question number two. What is your attitude to those who have physical or mental disabilities or the elderly? Do you see them as a burden on society? Bothersome? Embarrassing? People we should put in a residence or hidden away somewhere, out of view, so they don't bother our life? How do we see those? How do we look at them? What's our attitude? You see, in reality, all of us are handicapped. Right? I'm handicapped. I see a blur. <laughs> now I see clearly. Judy says, I have a handicap with my ears. I don't know why. I hear everything she says. But um, she says I don't. So am I less of a person than when I was younger? And I could see without glasses and I could hear perfectly well? Is a person who is confined to a wheelchair less of a person than I who can, who can walk? Is a person who cannot communicate for whatever reason less of a person than I who can talk? Is a person suffering from dementia less of a person than I who have most or almost all my mental capacities? How do we judge those people? How do, we, how do we relate to people who are handicapped? See, the faults, disabilities, those visible and non-visible, are all a result of sin, a rebellion against God, an effect of sin and sickness and all that on us as human beings, our rebellion and sin and pride. That does not take away the fact that we are created in the image of God. That image has been distorted. 
The image has been tarred and twisted, but the image of God, you are still that person. And that person in the wheelchair, that person with dementia is still someone created in the image of God. In spite of, in spite of, Imagio Day is still there. A couple of months ago, I read an article. Oops, sorry. Um, an article um, on BBC News. The title was Stop Trying to Heal Me. And well, of course, a title like that, I had to read it. You know, like, Stop Trying to Heal Me. Okay, what, what, what's going on? You know, like, the author it lives in England. She is in a wheelchair and does not profess to believe in anything. Makes it very clear in the article. And what she's writing about is that several times this happened to her, and I, I, I couldn't believe it, but she said it happened to her and a few others she knows. She'll be in a public place in a wheelchair because she can't walk, and a complete stranger will come without asking permission. Will just come say, I'm going to pray that you be healed. It starts praying for her. Uh, now, I believe in prayer, and I believe in healing, but not that way. I don't think that's the right way to go about it. And so, because it's happened several times to her, she's not a Christian. Her perception of Christianity is that she's broken. She needs to be fixed. Christians see her in a wheelchair as broken. Something needs to be repaired. And so they come in to pray for her. See, that, that's her con understanding of Christianity. Very sad, actually. But it's gotten me thinking. We are all in need of repair. We all need to be fixed <laughs> in some way or another. Just not the person who is visibly more different than me. But we are all in that situation. We are in need of healing. But that perfect state, the healing, will come one day when we're in heaven, right? Glorified body, the body the Bible talks about. We'll be, grow up with heaven, with Jesus to heaven, be perfected, transformed, glorified body. Difficult for us to imagine what that's going to be like. I always think of the Jesus coming to see the disciples after his um, resurrection, and they're hiding in the upper room. And he comes in, they think that he's a ghost, they're scared. And so he says, see my hands, and sighed, and they're still not too sure, so he says, give me something to eat. So he eats some fish or whatever. And he goes through the wall, disappears. And I always think, what happened to the fish? <laughs> <laughs> Like, it, it blows our mind how this glorified body will be. Like, I don't know. We don't know. But we just know that's the promise we have. But until then, I can't see myself as being, oh, complete and somebody else is broken. We have to be careful in our attitude and how we portray Christian faith. Imagine Day raises tough questions when we deal with those who act in ways they're abhorrent to our sense of justice and to our understanding of what is right and wrong. So the next question, please. What is your attitude to those who have committed a horrible crime? Now, this is where it gets a little more difficult. 
What kind of punishment is appropriate for one who's created in the image of God but has perpetrated a heinous crime? How do we separate the act from the person? How do we punish the person for what they have done and not for who they are? Your great-grandfather, your people, attacked my people and hurt me, so I'm going to hurt you. That's where wars come from. That's where genocide comes from. We do it to the person, not because of what they've done, but for who they are. So what is our attitude to those who committed crimes? See, when there is no imago day, when we do not look through that lens then the door is wide open for abuse and mistreatment of all kinds. It is easy when I see them as, it's when I see them as created in the image of God that dignity and respect come into the conversation. Doesn't answer, doesn't give an easy answer, but it must be there as part of the conversation. Otherwise, It leads to abuse. And in the same thinking, question number four, what is your attitude to those who are radical in their religious or political beliefs? How do we relate to them? From a distance on the news or somewhere else. But what if they're my neighbor or I work with them? Part of my family. Those who are very radical in their religious political beliefs and they're so strong and dogmatic, they maybe even not, don't want to see me. But that's not my problem. My problem is how do I relate to them? If I do not see them through the lens of Imago Dei that gives roots to feelings of resentment, anger, fear, and leads the extreme to genocide and war. If I do not see them through the lens of Majo Day, then I run the risk myself of being guilty of the same racist attitude of which I am accusing them. I accuse them of being racist against me. And if I do not see them as being created the image of God, then I run the risk of being also racist toward them. But it's when we look through Majo Day that dignity and respect for them as people even though I am strongly, strongly, strongly against what they believe, becomes part of the conversation. Again, no easy answers. Question number five. What is your attitude to those who practice a lifestyle acceptable by society today, but that goes against your values as a Christian? Sexual orientation, racist attitudes, something practical like living together before marriage. We can carry on. There's lots of uh, examples. I don't agree with them. In fact, I strongly agree with some of those lifestyles and decisions they make. But if I do not see that person through the eyes of Imago Dei, opens the temptation then is for me then to start thinking these actions of abuse and mistreatment. But it's through Imagine Day that I can see them created by a loving God, a holy God, 
who does not agree with what they're doing, but still created in his image. And therefore, dignity and respect, in spite of being in complete disagreement, dignity and respect can be part of that conversation. See, there's no easy answers. I'm not giving easy answers here (laughs) to these questions. But we have to ask the questions. We have to. See, the easy answer, send them home, get rid of them, lock them away. Or as a Tennessee pastor on CNN, and you can check it, look it up. I listened to his, his interview this past week. Take all those homosexuals, charge them, and execute them. Of course, that made the news. Incredible. There's no easy answers. But we need to ask these tough questions individually, but also corporately as a body of Christ. How do we relate? Community day. (laughs) Big give. The doors are open. We invite them in. We want people to come. How do we relate to them? Balancing Imagine Day with lifestyle and attitudes that are contrary to our values. Like I say, it's very easy. Easy way, get rid of them. Don't want to see them. But that is the opposite of what Christ says in the scriptures, that we are to pray for those who persecute us. We are to love our neighbor and to bless our enemy. That is his way as followers of Christ. Today, we still bear the image of God. It's tarnished, distorted, because of the scars of sin, disobedience, rebellion, and pride. Mentally, morally, socially, physically, all show the effects of that on our lives. But the good news, hey, there's always good news. That's what Christianity is. It's a story, a book of good news is that when a person puts their faith in Christ, God begins to restore the image of God in that person's life. Yes, oh man, yes, that's good news. It's not perfected. It won't be perfected until that day in heaven when we're with Christ. But there's a work, a progress, that when that God starts his work through the power of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer, transforming our thinking, transforming our, our relation, the relationship and healing, and even sometimes physically, so that the image of God is seen more and more and more. But it starts with faith in Christ. Next verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. That is the good news. That is the good news. But our challenge, especially today and more and more today society, our challenge is to maintain a balance between the biblical truth of Imago Dei with the actions and beliefs of people who have a lifestyle or do things that are contrary to what God has revealed in his word. And how do we do that? without falling into the same temptation that people around us fall into and 
of racism and get rid of them and poor attitudes and mistreatment. As followers of Christ, we're called to a higher standard. To love our neighbor. Pray for those who persecute you, Jesus said. Oh, man, that's tough. The enemy at the gate. Again, they're not easy questions. Or they're questions about easy answers. But we need to be prepared. To be ready. It's through talking it out. Coming to some kind of agreement. So maybe we may not even agree on how we do those things. But we have to at least have that conversation. How do we relate to those who are different? Regardless of class, race, gender, disability, whatever, created in the image of God. Last, last one. Because I said at the beginning, what you think of yourself and how you relate to others will depend on how you understand the biblical teaching of being created in the image of God. Let's take a few moments of personal prayer and reflection, and I will close then in prayer. And that's the Holy Spirit. As a prayer was for me earlier, Earl, that the Holy Spirit would do his work through his word, not mine, but through his word in each of our lives. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us the privilege to know you and call you Heavenly Father. But we thank you, Father, for the privilege of being here this morning. Thank you for your word, your truth. And Lord, by your Holy Spirit, continue to teach me, my brothers and sisters here, what does that really mean when we're created in the image of God for myself and for those people around me that you allow me to meet come into my circle throughout the day and the weeks. So, Father, continue your work for your honor and glory. Hear the prayers of your people. Be glorified and honored in all you say, all that you do. And we thank you, Father. Amen.